today on Ag News Daily. No matter the negative headlines we see on herd sizes and coal rates, we're just keep pumping out more and more milk. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Elaine Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson. And Mike, I am sitting in the airport right now, heading to Lubbock, Texas. Now, what is going on in Lubbock, Texas? Well, I get to finally walk across the stage and be recognized for finishing my master's degree. It's been a long process, as you know. Yes, it's been long. And do you have a place on your wall to hang your diploma already? I do. My mom actually bought me this cute little frame that I can throw my diploma in once I get it on Friday tomorrow. Well, fantastic. Delaney, that is very cool Mm -hmm. news. You and I will have the same number of post-high school degrees once you get your diploma. Mine will be a higher status than yours, though. Oh, oh, higher status. <laughs> we're not talking status. We're talking quantity. We will have the same quantity. Well, my quality de- is more important in my, my opinion. My degree from Des Moines Area Community College and from Simpson College, and you will have a degree from Northwest Missouri State and from a Texas uh, school, Texas thing. Texas Tech. Texas Tech. <laughs> Good in, try. In Lubbock. Yep. Well, that is very exciting. Well, we know you've got a plane to catch, so we don't want to keep you too long. We'll be talking dairy prices and dairy opportunities, or maybe lack thereof, a little bit later on in our interview. But what's the news? Hmm. What are the opportunities coming in agriculture, Delaney? So I know you absolutely talked about it yesterday on the podcast, talking about farm bill stuff, but we're starting to see more and more details trickle out about that 807-page document. And, of course, now the farm bill has to clear President Trump's desk. Who knows if that'll be an easy process or a hard process. I know SNAP requirements didn't get changed a whole lot in Titans, which was one of the things President Trump really wanted to see changed. But uh, here are a couple of highlights that I was reading about as more information comes down the pipeline. The first is that I guess this is more so in regards to farm subsidies. So it's going to let farmers nationwide adjust their average crop yields on file with the USDA. We're going to see expanded definitions of a family operation to include first cousins, nieces, and nephews. Commodity payments are going to be capped at $125,000 per person each year, and that doubles with couples. We're going to see raises on crop prices guaranteed in USDA marketing loans, which I think I mentioned that the other day. And then we're also going to see expansion on assistance that congressional budget leaders provided to dairy farmers in the fiscal year 2018 spending, and I'm sure you're going to talk about that a little bit coming up here in the interview. Yes. Yes, we sure will. So those are the changes that are coming, and like you say, now we're just waiting on President Trump's signature, which should Mm -hmm. happen in the next few days if he's going to sign it. Yes, I would think so, too. So I guess um, moving forward, uh, Colin Peterson made some comments on the record the other day saying, you know, the next thing that we have to do now is figure out how to implement these changes or these um, procedures and things that we've put into the new five-year farm bill. Yeah, I would think that would be Congress's next step. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, but I'm sure they've got a whole army of bureaucrats over there, no doubt, salivating at the chance to put these new procedures and new policies into effect. Oh, that was a good word. Good word for you. Yeah. Well, I've got a tie-in to salivation, Delaney. Do you know what makes me salivate? (laughs) Beef. Beef, exactly. In particular, steaks. And steaks are going to have some competition, it sounds like. 
For the first time in history, an Israeli startup claims to have achieved a key step towards the, the world of animalless meat production. They claim to have turned animal cells into a steak without utilizing a steer. Like cultured meat, right? Cultured meat, absolutely. This is a company called Aleph Farms, and um, they are partners with Sabra, which I'm most familiar with. They make uh, hummus. Um, mm-hmm. So they, these two companies have come together for two years. They've been working on developing lab-grown steak, and I, I don't know who has tried this. Apparently it's just been the Aleph CEO and, and company members, but they took photos and video, and they put it online. And uh, uh, looking at those, it's a thin but very clearly steak-like, quote-unquote, cut of beef. Um, And then the CEO said the smell was great when we cooked it, exactly the same characteristic flavor as a conventional meat cut, end quote. So we will see if this has any legs. Would you eat it? What's that? Would you eat it, looking at the picture? Um, No, I wouldn't eat it based on, you know, philosophical reasons. I don't want to eat mm-hmm. lab-grown meat. I want meat grown, you know, responsibly and honestly in the, you know, the muscle you, tissue of a steer. If you didn't know it was cultured meat, would you know it was – I mean, I guess if you looked at it, would you know it was cultured meat? Um, You would know something was wrong. It definitely – it to mm-hmm. me, it, it does not look like, like a steak. It's got the steak shape, kind of a ribeye-ish steak um, shape, but no, it doesn't look – quite right. It's very, very, very thin. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But it's the first step. We don't know quite what it cost. Um, right. So, you know, remains to be seen, but they're coming for it. They're coming for the industry. They're coming. That's true. Well, okay, so, Mike, we had some big news hit the wires yesterday afternoon in regards to Chinese soybean buy. Did you see this? I did. Did you talk about it on the podcast yesterday? I did talk about the 500,000 bushels that were 500,000 tons that were sold, but that number okay. is higher well, as of this morning. It is. That's right. The USDA confirmed this morning, Thursday morning, that China has actually purchased 1.13 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans, which is virtually the first on-the-record purchase since we saw the 25% tariff on soybeans go on. Yes, yep, it is. It's the first. It's uh, a sizable purchase, but throughout morning after this report was announced, soybeans were down pretty substantially. We'll see where they closed here when we get to the market wrap-up. That's crazy. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we need to see China buy, make 10 more of these orders to get us back on track. I know. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's a step in the right direction, that's for sure. Yes, yes, it is. It's, It's always positive to see to see things, as we've mentioned many, many times before, anytime we're getting commodities move off our shores, that is good news for our carryouts. But Absolutely. it would be better news if we would get some higher prices. We did get a report out from the uh, National Association of Equipment Manufacturers, their flash report. They say that for 11 months of 2018, a total of 217,491 tractors were sold which compares to 2017 as a 7% increase. So growers are willing to make investments because four-wheel drive tractor sales are up 61% over a year ago. 
Wow. Yeah, that just boggled my mind. But, you know, we talked I'm about actually, it with Casey Seymour. It's growers. We've spent five right. years here hanging on to older equipment. It was just time to yeah. upgrade. That's true. I guess even if the balance sheets are a little tighter this year, you got to do what makes sense. And if you need new equipment, you've been holding off. This might have to be your year. Absolutely. And with the tax changes, you know, the immediate mm-hmm. depreciability, that probably had something to do with it as well. But, but I'm certainly right. not a CPA. That's true. Well, Mike, um, as we continue to watch what's going on in California, we're seeing insurance claims from those wildfires, which I know we've talked about pretty frequently for here on the podcast, have topped $9 billion and are still expected to grow, according to the State Insurance Commissioner report that happened on Wednesday. The claims so far fall just short of the $12 billion in wildfire-related insured losses that were sustained in California in 2017, and they're expected to keep climbing and potentially get to be those numbers. Wow. Wow. That, those are huge numbers. It's mind-boggling the amount of losses that that number represents when you're looking at homes and mm-hmm. shops and barns and garages and vehicles and livestock and everything else. I mean, that is a, that is a terrible, terrible situation. We have been talking about the... Waters of the U.S. proposal. We got a comment here from Secretary of Ag Sonny Perdue. He was praising the EPA and Army Corps announcement, and here's what he said. He said, quote, This welcome action from EPA and the Army Corps will help bring clarity to Clean Water Act regulations and will help farmers know where federal jurisdiction begins and ends. President Trump is making good on his promise to reduce burdensome regulations to free our producers to do what they do best, feed, fuel, and clothe this nation and the world. So there we've got some positive comments on the WOTUS reversal, which comes as a nice change to the environmental group's fear-mongering mm-hmm. that's been going on over the past couple couple days. All right. Well, Mike, I have one other piece of news here before I got to hop onto my flight, and that is a hearing that went on earlier this week um, in the House subcommittee, the um, House Energy Subcommittee on Environment had a hearing on Tuesday afternoon talking about a lot of different things related to fuel and transportation, but most notably the renewable fuel standard. There is apparently a new proposed legislation on the House floor, and this draft is called the, the well, the hearing itself was called the 21st Century Transportation Fuels Act Discussion Draft, was presented during this panel, basically. And it's a piece of legislation that would draft or that would transition from blend-specific mandates to performance-based standards for future fuels and vehicles. And it would, quote, remove long-standing barriers to the availability and usability of higher ethanol blends, provide an additional decade of certainty for advanced biofuels, and harmonize the EPA and Department of Transportation Vehicle Efficiency Program. This uh, kind of legislation is being headed up by a representative from Illinois and also from Texas. I thought that was surprising. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of surprising to hear Texas on there, but I guess we'll just have to wait and watch as more details get rolled out and see if this thing has any legs when it gets there in front of Congress. Yep, it's pretty preliminary at this point, I would say. Well, Delaney, why don't you go burn a bunch of fuel getting down to Lubbock, and I will wrap up the markets and see where we finished for the day. How's that sound? That sounds great, Mike.
Well, Delaney runs to go catch her flight. I want to remind you that our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with the folks at Zaner to handle any of your marketing challenges. Give them a shout, 312-277-0050, or visit them on the web at zaner.com. Taking a look at the grains in corn, the December contract down a quarter penny at 376 even, the March down one and a quarter at 384 even. In soybeans, it looked like buy the rumor, sell the fact was the name of the game today. January contract down 12 cents, closed at 908 even, the March down 11 and a half to finish at 921 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was up 11 cents on the day at 526 and a quarter, the March up 10 to close at 536 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex with fat cattle trading a little bit lower today. The Feb contract was down a nickel at 122.85, while April was down a dime to finish at 124.80. Strength in feeder cattle with the January contract up 40 cents on the day at 147.97.50. The March up 65, finishing at 145.92 and a half. And mixed trade in lean hogs, the December contract up 7.5 cents at 54.80, with the Feb down 87.5 cents to close at 64.82 and a half. It does look like dairy was able to catch a bid today. The December contract up 6 cents at 13.77, with the January up 4 at 14.19. Our dairy conversation isn't going to end there. We're now going to kick it over to our conversation with Alyssa Badger. Well, folks, today we are focusing on a market we haven't had a chance to talk about very much recently, and it's not a market with a lot of great things to say from the producer's perspective. Joining me today is Alyssa Badger, the Director of Operations at High Ground Dairy. And Alyssa, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Give us an update real quick. We've heard about this crisis in the dairy industry, in the U.S. dairy industry, for, gosh, at, at least 18 months. It's been going on about three years now. Where do we stand as an industry? What's happening with the, the overall dairy herd and with production? So the U.S. Uh, milk production situation, we've been kind of pushing out and growing our um, milk productivity for three years. Just kind of no matter how high our slaughter rates are, how many farms disappear, um, we're just seeing, you know, growth no matter what. And that's primarily because John Smith uh, down the street, a uh, big ag farm, is able to buy out uh, the smaller neighbor farms that don't have as high as a, a pain point in the markets. Um, typically, a smaller farm would need a break-even price around 16 17 bucks. But the larger farms, uh, their pain points about thirteen, thirteen fifty, so they're able to. Um, so we're seeing her dispersal, but it's just going on to the stronger farms with with uh, access to better technology, and we're seeing kind of the milk per cow number increase at a faster rate that the herd um, is contracting. Wow. So it's those economies of scale are really allowing the big dogs to continue to grow in this environment. I imagine they're able to pick up some pretty decent genetics on the cheap as these other farms are dispersing their herds. Right, exactly. Um, California is kind of a good example. Their herd size is the lowest we've seen since 2004, but they just keep, you know, October was a record um, October for them. So no matter um, no matter the negative headlines we see on herd sizes and coal rates, we're just keep pumping out more and more milk. 
Gosh, and you mentioned a couple prices there. For smaller dairies, that $16.50 to $17 mark for uh, Class 3 prices, those larger dairies able to get by at, you know, $13.50 or so. It's been a long time since we've seen front month dairy north of that $15 number. Alyssa, when are we going to get this market back to a, a level where perhaps those smaller dairies could maybe make a living? Uh, well, fortunately, futures market kind of provides uh, opportunity for them to get some some 1650 locked in into next year. Um, however, I would say before we kind of see a turnaround in prices, one of our biggest struggles has been uh, domestic demand. It was really positive to start the year, but um, kind of this into the second half, um, cheese demand domestically has been dropping off. Um, I know you probably saw the headline about millennials killing uh, cheddar cheese, American no, cheese. No, I hadn't but, seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the demand for, uh, you know, cheddar cheese, American cheese slices has dropped off significantly. Um, we've also seen fluid milk sales drop off for, gosh, nearly five years, maybe more. Uh, just the only place we're kind of seeing stronger demand is in the higher fat, um, higher fat products. Would that be butter and ice cream? Yeah, butter, primarily <laughs> primarily butter. Okay. Uh, we've, we have, even have record imports. I mean, the demand for butter here has been great, but that doesn't take away from the fact that our inventories are massive. Gotcha. On a positive note. Yes, let's find something right low here. Prices, yeah, yeah. The low prices have been um, positive for innovation reasons, particular, particularly in the QSR space. So you're seeing places like McDonald's, Wendy's, Culver's, they're all adding more cheese to their menu. So that's certainly been a positive trend, and we kind of hope to continue to see that uh, expand across that space. Um, But, gosh, other than that, I think the biggest detriment has been the trade issues, which anyone listening that's in the ag industry knows what's been going on. Um, China, first and foremost, We've taken away that market, but but having the U.S. and China kind of in this argument uh, for some time now, it's also affecting other global economies. So as much as we're trying to push product elsewhere, um, the buying power from these other nations is starting to drop off. So what we need is kind of better policy and hopefully, you know, the agreement also with Canada and Mexico can uh, – pass through Congress and and move forward with that as well. Well, now let's talk about that a little bit because there was, it seemed to me from some of my conversations with dairy folks, a bit of a hopeful note there for our friends in the northern Wisconsin, Michigan, greater New York area as we looked at getting rid of that Class 8, I believe, or Class 7 that Canada had put into place. Does that, Mm -hmm. is that really going to be a benefit to American dairy producers or is it just a, a stick they threw out, a little chip in the you know, something to pacify people. That's actually, uh, well, first of all, as much as we see, you know, the USMCA was signed, it was kind of a symbolic move. Uh, as I mentioned, it still has some <laughs> some things to pass through uh, Congress and the House, and, and we can't forget that the House is now uh, Democrats, so if they want to make any changes, you know, there's a lot um, in the pipeline. But if Canada complies and, and this actually moves forward, Removing the class six and seven pricing scheme will absolutely 
um, be beneficial to us. It's also going to open up uh, their borders so that we can move more product into Canada. Um, so that's very hopeful, and, and hopefully, you know, that actually the agreement goes into effect in that um, in that uh, Canada complies because that certainly that pricing scheme formed a number of loopholes for them and uh, stifled not only stifled our exports into their borders but also created a market where they were competitive um, into our export markets. Oh, so, so this will allow that us to be on an equal footing for exports in addition to getting that uh, that ultra filtered milk back into Canada. Yeah, because one of the issues is that their the way that they price their skim milk powder, which is a big export for us, is that they can basically uh, they take global prices and pick the lowest one so that they're always the cheapest for exports. So again, oh. all that is going to be fantastic for our markets once it truly passes. Yeah, if and when it does truly pass is is always the wild card <laughs> when we're looking at D.C. Yeah. Now, we did just have the farm bill go through. It was signed. Now it's just waiting for the president's signature. And there is some huge changes to the margin protection program for dairy producers. Is this something that, that your, your customers are excited about, or is this just going to be yet another fix that's not going to do a whole lot of good? It looks much better than it did. It's basically... Uh a revamped MPP, um, but they're also offering the new DRP program, and it, we're excited about uh, farmers having more tools. We always, you know, that's always a positive sign, uh, but this again comes back to kind of <clears throat> in a market where prices just continue to move lower aggressively, do we want to keep extending these lifelines? Um, it's a double it's a double edged sword, right? So extending this sorry. Offering another lifeline is ultimately gonna lead to more milk. So um is there truly a fix? I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. The question is do we Yeah, gosh, there's no polite way to say it, but do you let the industry weed itself out with lower prices? reduce milk production, and that would help prices rebound, or do you continue to help these smaller producers or, or any producer who's not profitable stay in business, continue to produce the milk, and drive prices lower for longer? It is definitely a tough decision to have to make. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I'm all for American farmers, and I would I hate, I hate to see these low prices in the way it's affecting the people that feed the world, but um, yeah, it's it's certainly... Trying to figure out what's next is going to be uh, pretty difficult. Alyssa, before we let you go, a lot of our listeners are very concerned. They want to do something to help the dairy industry. When we're going to the grocery store and we're standing in front of the dairy case, what can we buy that's going to have the biggest impact for the American dairyman? Is it just straight up fluid milk? Buy that whole milk and buy 10 gallons of it? Yeah, completely ignore all the vegetable milk. Absolutely. Milk, vegetable the juices. Water. <laughs> yeah. The, the nut juices. Test, all that. <laughs> the nut juices, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, certainly buying, we need, the fluid milk sales are struggling, you know, like I said, five years now. Um, but cheese, butter, yogurt, I mean, any anything you can do. And obviously, looking for American-made products is important. I know demand for Irish butter has been quite strong, but if we could tame that back a little bit, that'd be great. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and for giving us an update. And hopefully we'll be approaching a corner to turn around and we can get the U.S. dairy industry back on track before too long. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Folks, if you want to follow along with Alyssa's thoughts and updates from the dairy industry, find her on Twitter at Born Bullish, the greatest Twitter name there is, and Alyssa managed to snag it. Be sure to follow her, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow. I think we'll have Delaney back. I'm not 100% as to when that graduation takes place, but I imagine it's over the weekend. And uh, we will have more great interviews and content. If you want to catch up on any of our past episodes, you can do that by visiting us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. That'll redirect you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. Or you can always hit us up on social media. Search for Ag News Daily on Facebook or on Twitter. Both will take you right to us. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let you go.